This morning, we are kicking off a new sermon series called Christmas Stories. And for those of you who have been with us over the last few months, you might be thinking, well, what about Daniel? I mean, are we just going to skip over the last six chapters of Daniel? Well, to uh, set your mind at ease, we are not skipping Daniel. We're, we're actually going to come back to that study at the beginning of the new year. But over the next few weeks during the Christmas season, we're going to spend a little bit of time focusing in on the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Now, for those of you who have grown up in the church or you've been around the church for a while, you're probably pretty familiar with the Christmas story, right? You've heard it so many times that maybe you've even missed some of the details of it, but uh, you're a young kid, you're sitting around uh, the Christmas tree, there are all these presents there sitting in front of you, and your dad, your grandpa, maybe somebody else pulls out the Bible and starts reading the, the story of the birth of Jesus. And uh, really, you, you want to pay attention, but you're so excited about the presents that are in front of you that you miss the details that are being read. And so my hope is that over the next few weeks in this series... Uh, Christmas stories that we kind of get a fresh look, a fresh perspective on things. And the way that I, I hope to do this is by exploring some of the different people whose lives are completely changed by these events. And so over the next couple of weeks, we are going to look at the story of the shepherds, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the story of uh, Joseph and Mary, and that of the Magi, and I trust that this is going to grow and stretch all of us. Now, if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, while you're turning there, I want to just show you the picture of a man that we're going to put up on the screen today. Uh, some of you are avid readers. Others of you uh, were required to read a lot of classic books in school. And so I imagine that some of you are familiar with the guy who's in this picture. Uh, this guy's name is Ernest Hemingway. He is a, a famous American author who wrote during the first half of the 20th century. He was uh, popular classics that he wrote for, like um, uh, Farewell to Arms, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and The Old Man in the Sea. And uh, while uh, there, there's a story about Hemingway that I just wanted to kind of share with you here today. The story, it goes like this, that he's out to dinner with a few friends. There are a bunch of other authors, and he pulls out a $10 bill, which was pretty significant amount of money back then. But he says, you know what? I bet you $10 that I can write a novel in just six words. $10 that I can write a novel in six words. Well, the, the friends, they all have strange looks on their faces. They say, there's no way you can do this. You're on. There's no way that you can write a novel in just six words. I mean, you need at least 100 pages. And Hemingway, he leans over the table and he writes on a napkin these six words that we're going to put up on the screen. For sale, wedding dress, never worn. For sale, wedding dress, never worn. His friends sit there in astonishment for a moment. These surprised looks on their faces and then they just pay up because he had done it. Six words. 
How did he pack so much tension, emotion, and potential in just six words? Well, I guess that's what made him such a great author, right? But when you read these six words, or you hear them, and you just have to say, well, what happened? I mean, I just want to, I want to know more. What's the rest of the story? Is it a happy story? Is it a sad story? We don't know. Maybe this story is a story of a couple who gets engaged, and she says, you know, uh, she kind of uh, partway through the engagement realizes this is not the guy that I thought it was, he was, and she calls it off. Maybe it's a story of a breakup. Or Hemingway wrote during World War I, World War II, and so maybe this is a story of something that took place during one of those wars. Maybe it's a story of high school sweethearts, and he, is, um, he proposes to her, and then he gets shipped off to Europe in order to defend his country, and he never comes back. Maybe it's a story of heartbreak and loss. Or maybe it's a happy story. Maybe the couple gets engaged. Uh, she goes and buys a wedding dress. Then her uh, 80-year-old grandmother comes and says, Hey, you know what? I- I'd love for you to wear the dress that I wore on my wedding day 60 years earlier when I married your grandpa. And it's this beautiful story of family and of love over a lifetime. I, I mean, who knows? But Hemingway nailed it. An entire story in just six words. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, what in the world does Hemingway have to do with Christmas stories? I I think that in the Christmas story, the story of Jesus the Messiah being born, that there is a six-word story. It it contains every bit as much drama and tension and emotion as Hemingway's six-word story. Here it is. She was found to be pregnant. She was found... To be pregnant. It's a story of Mary and Joseph in a very surprising pregnancy, a pregnancy that transforms their lives, and a story that can transform our lives as well. And so, what I want us to do this morning is to explore the story of Mary and Joseph and how they responded to this surprising pregnancy. We're going to look at three different scenes today, and I trust that we will draw some lessons from these scenes for ourselves as well. Like I said earlier, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 1 today. The the gospel of Matthew was written by uh, a disciple of Jesus who lived with Jesus, who walked and talked with Jesus, who spent three years with Jesus. And so as he writes, he writes as someone who has firsthand experience with Jesus. I want to go ahead and jump into our story. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and here's what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So we enter into this story, and it is an exciting time. Joseph and Mary are engaged, which means that they are planning this wedding And it's going to happen in just a few months. You can just imagine the scene in both homes. Uh, Preparations are being made. They're designing the decorations. They're getting rooms ready for out-of-town family and friends. 
They're planning the food, preparing the food so that they can have this great big feast. I mean, who are going to be the bridesmaids? Who are going to be the groomsmen? This is an incredibly exciting time for this young engaged couple. But as we know, there is a six word story here. Verse 18 goes on to say, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Wait a second, what? She was found to be pregnant. I mean, you get the sense here that it was discovered. I wonder, how did Joseph find out about this? How exactly did Joseph get the news that his fiancée was pregnant? The text doesn't actually tell us, but as I think about this story, and I was thinking about it this week, I thought about how Mary had gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth during her pregnancy. And uh, the Gospel of Luke actually gives us this detail, but maybe when she was there, she wrote this letter to Joseph, and that's how he found out. I mean, we have no idea if uh, Mary actually wrote a letter to Joseph or not, but one way or another, Joseph found out. And so I just want you to imagine this first scene with me for a moment, if you will. It's Joseph's house. He's outside. He's just got the mail and he opens up this letter from Mary. In the letter, he gets these details. She says, hey, you know what? I'm having such a great time with my cousin Elizabeth. We're, we're, we're enjoying being together and hanging out. I'm so excited as well to spend the rest of my life with you. And then she says, oh, by the way, I thought that I should tell you that I just discovered that I'm pregnant. But don't worry, because it's a miracle baby from God. An angel told me that this was going to happen. I know that this is a lot to process, but I just want you to know that I love you, Mary. Now, we, we don't know how Joseph found out about this, but one way or another, he did. And while it might seem like a, a, a bit funny to think of Mary writing a letter to Joseph in order to tell him this news, I guarantee one thing as you, you read this text here that Joseph did not think that this was funny at all. I mean, Joseph's incredibly surprised. He's incredibly shocked. And I don't think that he believes the story either. Joseph, I'm having a baby. Both of us know that it's not yours, but it's a miracle baby from the Lord. He's not buying the story. And why do I say this? Well, let's read on. The very next verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says... Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I mean, why would you divorce her if you believe the story to be true, right? I mean, he's not buying the story. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. What's he experiencing as he gets this news? According to Jewish tradition, uh, most likely this marriage was arranged years before by the parents of Mary and Joseph. And so Joseph had been anticipating this day coming for years since he was a kid. They're, they're just months away from this wedding now. And from everything that he can tell, she's cheated on him. I mean, seriously, how could you do this? 
Imagine being Joseph. If you've ever received horrible news like this, you're probably, he's probably shaking his head. He's probably crying, heartbroken over this. And so he decides that he needs to divorce this woman. Now, you might be reading this and thinking, well, uh, I mean, they're engaged. They're, they're not married yet. I mean, why is he divorcing her? That doesn't make any sense. Here's how the Jewish law worked during that time in history. This engagement period was a year-long period of time where you would have, this was a legal marriage. I mean, you had documents that were signed. Parents got involved, got together in this. There was this legal marriage in, in every way. That's what this was, except for the fact that, there was, that they were not permitted to live together and they were not allowed to consummate the marriage until the wedding day. But they were legally married. And so if Joseph wants to call this wedding off, well, he needs to divorce her. This is what he decides to do, but now he has two options. Within the bounds of Jewish law, he has two ways that he can go about doing this. Option number one is to have a public trial that he can bring Mary before the leadership of their town and have her go on trial for adultery, for cheating on him, for sinning against him, for sinning against God. And and so he could have this public trial in order to clear his name. His integrity would be intact and everybody in town would know what Mary had done. It would be a way of Joseph saying, you know what, look at what she did to me. Look at what kind of a woman Mary is. Mary would be publicly humiliated and both of their families would be shamed. That's option number one. But there is another option. There's another way of going about doing this. And that second option is this, that he could have a private meeting. It's just Mary and Joseph, and according to the law, two other witnesses, and the legal papers would be signed, and they would be divorced. Now, in this second option, people would probably talk, right? I mean, the wedding's off? She's pregnant? Is Joseph the father? No one would quite know what was going on, and Joseph's reputation, his integrity, might be a bit up in the air. But Mary would be spared some of the public humiliation and shame. So what's Joseph going to do here? He's not buying the story. He decides that he's going to divorce Mary. Which option, which approach is he going to take? Well, again, we read there in verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That Joseph decides to handle this situation quietly in a way that preserves her dignity. I believe that Joseph loves Mary, but he has every reason to believe that she's been unfaithful to him. Yet instead of shaming her and humiliating her, he chooses to handle the situation quietly, which I think is a great example for us on how to handle things like this as well. That when the people in our lives hurt us, when they make mistakes, when they sin against us and even betray us, there's incredible wisdom and even biblical commands that instruct us to seek to address these situations quietly. Because the quiet approach offers an opportunity for repentance and reconciliation and restoration, and that's exactly what Joseph does here. When he thinks that he has been betrayed, he resolves to divorce Mary quietly. 
Well, Joseph has made up his mind on what to do in this situation, but Joseph is in for a big surprise. He doesn't have all of the details, and this is scene two, Joseph's dream. Joseph's dream. We're back at Joseph's house, and this time Joseph is asleep, and he is about to have this incredible dream. This is the kind of dream where an angel shows up and has a message from God. Which is probably not the kind of dream that any of us have had any time recently. Here's what we read beginning in verse 20. But as he considered these things, as he thought about divorcing Mary, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she's not lying She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Scene two, Joseph gets the news. Everything that he's heard about this baby that Mary's going to have is true. And I wonder, how does Joseph feel in this moment? I mean, he's probably feeling a bit of relief, like, thank goodness she wasn't lying. He might even be a little bit excited, like... You know what? The Son of God, the Messiah that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years, he's now coming. But Joseph is also human, and I imagine that he's probably feeling some anxiety. Why? Well, because first of all, Joseph is the the kind of guy who has tried to do things the right way. He is a righteous man, and he has tried his best to follow the law. And so he has prepared for this marriage and he has been trying to do things the right way. And now what are are people going to think? What are people going to say? He's going to marry this woman. They're, They're going to have a baby in a few months and people are going to start wondering, well, how did they have a baby so quickly? Which is probably going to affect Joseph's reputation. On top of that, how do you raise the son of God as a parent? I mean, it's hard enough being a parent. It's hard enough being a first-time parent. But now, being the parent of the Messiah, the Savior? How is Joseph ever going to do this? And, you know, I, I think that leading up to this situation with Mary's pregnancy and with Joseph having this dream, I think that if one of Joseph's friends had come to him and said, Hey, You know, I I just have an interesting question for you to think about here. Uh, Where do you see your life in a year from now or or in five years from now? I think that Joseph would have had some very clear answers about that. Like, like, you know what, I'm I'm working on this house because we're getting married and then we're going to start having a family together and I've got this solid career in carpentry ahead of me. Everything seems to be falling into place here. But... If this same friend came and asked this question after the dream, you know, uh, Joseph, uh, where do you see your life in a year from now or five years from now? I bet that Joseph would say, you know what? I have no idea because everything that seemed to be so clear in Joseph's life has now become unclear. What's what's the way forward? What's this all going to look like? (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know at all. I think that Joseph's feeling a bit of anxiety about all of this. And and I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where everything seemed to be planned out and clear? 
And then all of a sudden, uh, some sort of disruption comes along, maybe good, maybe bad, but uh, now all of a sudden everything seems to become unclear in your life. I think for all of us, we have experienced some of this over the last few months, right? I mean, that's what 2020 has been all about. It's all about disruptions. And maybe at the beginning of the year, you had all of these things planned out. You thought that you knew what the future might look like. Along the way, though, there have been quite a number of things that have affected your plans. And at this point, you think, you know what? I have no idea what's going to happen next. Well, I find it so interesting that Matthew, the guy who wrote this gospel, kind of slides this little side note in here in this dream. And I I think this is so helpful for us in times when we find ourselves in places of uncertainty. He writes this beginning in verse 22. He says, all this took place. He's talking about the birth of Jesus, the pregnancy, the dream. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's talking about something that was written hundreds of years before this. Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph is caught off guard by this whole thing. But do you know who's not caught off guard by this? God. And Joseph is so surprised, but do you know who isn't surprised? God. Because this event has been planned for hundreds of years. In fact, you could say that this event has been planned ever since the very beginning of time. And Joseph finds himself right in the middle of God's plans. He's probably feeling all of this anxiety, but God's not feeling any anxiety at all. And I just think that this is so helpful for us. That when we find ourselves in the midst of disruptive situations, God is not surprised. We might be caught off guard, but God isn't. I think that there's a reason why the biblical authors refer to God as a rock and as a stronghold. Because in those moments of chaos and confusion, we can still be secure knowing that God has a plan and he knows what he's doing. We might be feeling worry and anxiety and confusion, but God isn't. And we can rest in him, which I think is a great reminder for us today. What is Joseph going to do here, though? I mean, he has this dream where God kind of lays out all of these details before him. And now now he's going to, how is he going to respond to this disruption that uh, is being thrown into his life here? Well, we find out in verse 24, it says this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In this dream, God gives Joseph two commands. He says, marry her and name the baby Jesus. And I love the fact that Joseph wakes up and all it says is that he marries her and he names the baby Jesus. It's like, Joseph, um, what are you going to do? I mean, all of this uncertainty about the future. Well, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to obey what is really clear for me to do. I, 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 God has given me two steps to take, and so I'm going to take those two steps of obedience. I mean, this is such an important lesson for us. That when everything seems to be unclear in life, we need to simply obey 
what is clear. Yeah, you know what? There might be a lot of things that we don't know, a lot of chaos and confusion, but what's one thing that we do know that God wants us to do? We may not know all of the things and how they're going to turn out over the next year or over the next five years, uh, but God, but, but oftentimes God gives us one step to take and only one step of obedience that he wants us to take. And so I think that that's all we need to do. We need to take that step of obedience. We need to, uh, he calls us to be faithful in the little things. And if we're faithful in the little things, he promises that he is going to care for us along the way. Okay, so you know, we've got a little bit of a picture here, a clearer picture of what Joseph is doing during this time, but how he's responding to this surprise pregnancy that has completely transformed their lives. But what about Mary? How, how's she doing? What's she up to in all of this? I want to jump to scene three here, and we want to go to Mary's house, and we want to go back to when she first got the news, when the angel first appeared to her to tell her that she was going to have a baby. Now, to read about this, we're going to have to go over to Luke chapter one. It's two gospels over. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And Luke chapter one, verse 31, here's what the angel says to Mary says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You're going to give birth to Jesus the Messiah, and he's going to reign forever. This is such an unbelievable privilege, an unbelievable honor. I mean, can you imagine getting this kind of news? It's crazy. I just have one question about this whole thing. Why Mary? I mean, why did God choose Mary? There's an interesting verse that comes just before these verses that we just read. uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. It says this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why is it that Mary found favor with God? What is it about her that that God said at some point, you know what? That's the person that I want to raise my son, the Messiah, that woman right there. You know, what, what is it about her? What is it that made her so special? This is... Was it something about her character? Was it something about her background that got God's attention? What was it? Because I think that if we can answer this question, it it helps us in living lives that would then please and glorify and honor the Lord. Well, if you've ever looked into this, and I have, I've read about this passage, and I've read about what made Mary so special to God that he would choose her. But do you know what I found? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, what did Mary do? What did she bring to the table in order to make her worthy for this incredible privilege and honor? Nothing. Uh, start, to start with, uh, you start with the fact that she's too young. I mean, biblical scholars believe that she was a teenager, maybe even as young as 13 years old when this happened and when she gets this news. And uh, she's way too young to have this responsibility. She's too poor. 
you read ahead in the Christmas story after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple in order to offer a sacrifice, a purification sacrifice. And the story tells us that they offered two doves as their sacrifice. According to the Old Testament law, the only reason why you would offer two doves is if you couldn't afford the actual sacrifice. You were too poor. So she's too young. She's too poor. On top of that, she's from the wrong town. She's from this place called Nazareth. Later on in the gospel story, there are these guys who are talking about this Jesus who might be the Messiah. And and he's from this town called Nazareth. And one of the guys says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from that place? Mary's hometown had this reputation of producing lowlifes and losers. She's just, uh, she's from the wrong town. One preacher said it this way. We're going to put this quote up on the screen. Mary, a poor, uneducated woman, most likely, in in that awkward stage between being a girl and a woman, from a human standpoint, totally insignificant, also a woman in a culture that discounted women, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. What did Mary do to earn the right of this incredible honor and privilege? Absolutely nothing. She is totally unworthy of it. So why in the world did God choose her for this momentous role, maybe even the most important role that any human being has ever played? Why did God choose her? Well, because he wanted to. He says, you know what, I, I, I want to give this incredible blessing to this young woman who is entirely unworthy of it. It's called grace. The definition of grace is getting what we don't deserve. At the very beginning of the Christmas story, God chooses this young woman who is uh, totally unworthy. And he says, you know what, I want to give you this incredible blessing. And the story of Christmas is a story of grace. It's so much more than that, though, because the very idea that God would become a human being and live among the human race and experience everything that we experience and say, this is how to be fully human. The fact that God would enter into this creation like this, that we did not deserve this incredible privilege. What did we do to deserve this? Nothing. What did we bring to the table? Absolutely Nothing. It is all about grace. But it's even bigger than that because this little baby, Jesus, grew up to be a man. He lived the perfect life. He, he, he uh, voluntarily went to a Roman cross in order to give his life away to pay a penalty for our sin and our rebellion that we could never pay. So that we could be restored to our creator, experiencing the forgiveness of our sins and living a life that is beyond our wildest imaginations with God forever. What did I do? What did you do to deserve such an incredible gift of grace? Nothing. What did we bring to the table to to make us worthy of this? Absolutely nothing. Christmas from beginning to end, is about grace. And I think that it's so important as we enter into this season, just days into December, to remind ourselves and to set the tone for this season. 
Yes, it is great to be around family. Yes, it is great to exchange gifts and to laugh with each other and to enjoy music and to be generous. But at the center of it all, at the foundation, Christmas is about grace. It's about God's grace. And so my hope for us is that sometime over this week, we, as we prepare to enter into this season, that we would just stop and say, thank you. Thank you for giving us this baby in order to rescue us. Thank you for your grace. Because Christmas is about grace. Now, uh, before we close our time here this morning, I, I just want to recognize here that maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're listening to this online and you just have never responded to this incredible gift of grace. Well, uh, you, you've never said to God, you know, thank you for sending your son to die in my place, to pay the penalty that I could never pay so that I could be forgiven and free, so that I could be restored into the right relationship with God that I was designed for. If you've never responded to God's grace for you in that way, I want to invite you today to do just that. This could be the greatest Christmas season, a Christmas season that is unlike any that you've ever experienced, where you fully understand and embrace what God has done for you. If you have questions or you'd like to talk more about that, um, I'm free to talk with you after the service. Uh, or another thing that you could do if you'd like to talk to somebody is just take the, the blue contact card in the pew rack in front of you. You can fill it out, write your name, your uh, way to contact you, and then just at the bottom write the, write the word grace. And uh, you could place it in the offering plate in the back as you leave, and, and somebody will contact you and, and talk more with you about what it means to experience God's grace in your life. Fact is that Christmas is all about grace. And I love this six word Christmas story. She was found to be pregnant. It's a surprise pregnancy that transforms the lives of Joseph and Mary. And it has the power to transform your life and my life today as well. Let's pray.